This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Today was the yard site of the Mittler Rebbe, the son of the Alter Rebbe. And he passed away on his birthday. Talmud says that the souls of the righteous, Hashem fills their years, completes their years. Like Moshe passed away on his 120th birthday. Born and died the same day is a very rare phenomenon. It's very unique. It means that the person is a very, very special soul. Throughout history, there were very few passed away on their birthday. Moshe, the uh, King David, passed away on his 70th birthday. But the, uh, the Mittler Rebbe was the only Rebbe who passed away on his birthday. He was young, 54. And he passed away the day before tonight, the day before the first anniversary of his redemption. He also sat in prison, like his father, and he was redeemed, released on the 10th of Kislev. And he passed away, before they can celebrate the first anniversary, he passed away the eve, the day before. And uh, his passing was a phenomenon. You know, I mean, his whole life was, his son-in-law became the Rebbe afterwards. Someone said, if he would cut his veins... Blood wouldn't flow, Hasidus would flow. Hasidic philosophy, Hasidic teachings. That was his life. One time he spoke a Hasidic discourse for 18 hours straight. And um, his grandson he used as a, to lean on. And his grandson didn't move for 18 hours. Zayda <laughs> was... And when he would say Hasidus, everyone was like in a trance. People who were like this, would, you know, no one would move and budge. They were so absorbed in what they were saying. And that was the previous, the middle of Rebbe was very absorbed. Everything that he did, externally he looked at him, he didn't see any movement. But the, the tip of his hat would be sweating <laughs> from sweat, from work. But it wasn't like he didn't see anything external, it was all internal. But his mind worked so hard and he was his focus, concentration was so intense. And more so than many of the, any of the other Rebbe's, but by the middle of the Rebbe we hear many, many stories. I was, this is almost a common occurrence. That is, Gabai, his beetle, his Mishamish, would want to show the Hasidim. He says, let me show you something, a phenomenon. And he would take them into the room, in the middle of the Rebbe's room, and he would be standing there. He says, you can walk in front of him. You can look like, he's, he's not here. He's here, but he's not here. He's like totally in a trance. He's totally oblivious to the surrounding. And it went on for hours. Like he wouldn't move. He would just stand there, deeply lost in, in thought and experiencing whatever he was experiencing. And many hours later, he would come out of it. And, um, you know, one time he, after traveling, on the road, being on the road, a Russian winter, miserable, cold Russian winter, he's traveling, meeting the Hasidim, visiting them in their towns. And uh, after a long day's travel, it was torturous, you know, with a horse and buggy. Even today, driving with a car on those roads is torturous. Imagine with a horse and buggy, freezing, ice cold, snowy. It was just very hard. And um, not eating and not sleeping all day. He came exhausted. They stopped at the hotel, and you know. And what did the Mittler Rebbe say? He ran with his coat. He didn't even have a chance to take off his coat. Grabbed the coat of Jewish law, and he says, "Ah, oh, this is Hashem's will." And he started learning all night, 
he forgot how hungry he was. He hasn't eaten since breakfast, or maybe not even breakfast. He was traveled all day. He was exhausted. But he was so excited and so eager that he got so lost in learning and studying that he completely forgot. Um, but this was the greatest Alter Rebbe's people, people think, what was Alter Rebbe's greatest accomplishment? Some would say the Tanya. Others would say the Code of Jewish Law. Others would say the different enactments that he made that has been accepted. Heating a mikveh, the siddur, the knife that you used to use for, for the shechita. But the truth is, the Alter Rebbe's greatest accomplishment was his son, the Mittler Rebbe, <laughs> that he produced a son like the Mittler Rebbe, who became the second Rebbe. And the Alter Rebbe, in his later years, would actually stand and listen, hear his son repeating the Hasidic discourse, because he put him in charge to educate the young, the young men, the young people, and he would sit and listen. And, and one time they had an argument between themselves, a very, very heavy argument. The Alter Rebbe said, I'm greater than you, because I produced a son like you. The son says, no, I'm greater than you, because I have a father like you. <laughs> this is an argument that nobody won. <laughs> but uh, this, was, this was definitely his greatest accomplishment. And um, the Mittler Rebbe wrote the Hasidus on the Siddur, Chassidus that he heard from his father. We have a whole book of Chassidus. The Alter Rebbe was written by the Mittler Rebbe, by his son. And that's why we please God after the Tanya. Hashem will give us the strength and the abilities. We'll study the Siddur, according, especially according to Hasidic teachings, which makes the Siddur, the prayer, really come alive. Um... So this is a auspicious day, the yard site and the birthday of the Mittler Rebbe, which leads right into the redemption, day of redemption of the Mittler Rebbe. And the Mittler Rebbe's wish was, he says, my goal in life is that when two Hasidim meet, they should talk about the lower level of unity, the higher level of unity. Their conversation should be godliness. This should be their conversation. This is what they're into. This is what they're talking about. This is what they're excited. This is what what enthusiasm, you know. This is what enthuses them. This is what his wish was. That godliness should be so real to them. They should be able to talk about it, discuss it in depth. And when they meet, just meeting each other on the road, meeting each other, this should be the topic of conversation. What's the latest? my insight, my understanding of the idea of the absolute unity of Hashem, and it is God, how could there be a reality? And all the deepest, deepest things that Hasidus talks about, and this should be the day, daily conversation on the agenda of two, two average Hasidim meeting each other. He said they should be clear in the highest levels of Atik and Arich, which is the levels of the crown, of Keter, just like we are clear about our five fingers. That's how clear, crystal clear these concepts should be. In other words, he made Hasidus come alive. That it's not just some holy, otherworldly ideas that you go to the mikveh and you put in your gartel and you close your eyes and you learn. It's real. It's reality. Just like you talk about your five, you see your five fingers. That's how crystal clear all these concepts should be. And just like you talk about business and you meet someone. What's the latest stock exchange? Or what's, what's the best? What's the latest tip? That's how you should be able to talk about all these deepest concepts. It's kind of a reality, a living, breathing reality. And he accomplished it. In his day and age, the Hasidim, the Hasidim flowed like water. It was like an abundance. One page of the Alter Rebbe's Mimer becomes 20, 30 pages in the Mittler Rebbe. It was like a river that starts out with a drop, like a wellspring, which is drop, drop by drop, and suddenly it becomes a roaring, mighty river that expands and overflows. And that's what the Mithra Rebbe took Hasidus and he articulated and put it into words and explained it and enhanced it and, and articulated it and broadened it and made it into a deep, from a wellspring he took it and made it into a deep, flowing, vibrant river.
that gives life. But the Rebbe Roshab said, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, was also named after him, Dovber. He also added, he also had the name Shalom Dovber, but Dovber was the name of the middle Rebbe, who was named, he was born to the year after Rabbi Dovber, the Magad Mizrich, the second leader of the Hasidic movement, and the teacher, the Rebbe of the Alter Rebbe, passed away. So when the Alter Rebbe's firstborn was, was born, he called him after his Rebbe, Dovber. So uh, the, the um, Rebbe Rashab said, Rabbi Shalom Dover said, what the Mittler Rebbe gave to Hasidus, nobody else gave. The, the, the depth and the, how Hasidus became so alive and his explanations and his understanding and his in-depth, penetrating in-depth. What he added that was so internal that what he added, nobody, nobody, else, nobody else gave to Hasidus. It was such a such an incredible but he was a Rebbe for a very short time he was a Rebbe his father passed away in um, 1812 and um, he was a Rebbe for 15 years passed away 15 years later at the young age of 54 the Rebbe lived the age of 68. The Mittler Rebbe lived at the age of 54. What number was he? The second Lubavitcher Rebbe. He was a son. The, yeah, the Alter Rebbe, yeah. And when he passed away, well, right before he passed away, they thought that he's, they thought a few times that it's all over. But then he came back to himself and he started saying Hasidus, started repeating a Hasidic discourse. When he would say Hasidic discourse, he would come to life. All his illness vanished. He was like, his voice would become vigorous. That was his life. And he repeated, one of the Hasidic discourses that he repeated is the Zecher Rav Tufcha, which is in the Siddur, which is a very profound Hasidic discourse on, on Asher Yeshua Visecha and that uh, Tilo the David of the Psuki the Zimra, the part of davening we say every morning very profound Hasidic discourse and he repeated that obviously that was one of his favorite Hasidic discourses because that was one of the last Hasidic discourses he repeated again while he was on his deathbed and then, then he said another Hasidic discourse and while he was saying a Hasidic discourse he said the word life, uh, the giver of life he gave up his soul his soul returned to its maker and um, it says since the passing of Rabbi Shimon Bayechoy, there hasn't been such an exalted, holy passing, such a holy soul. They had the merit this summer, for the first time, to be at his caver in the Yezhen. And um, so this Tanya class, very auspicious, we're having it on the night that's after the, the today was his birthday and his yard site, the same day. And tonight is the day and tomorrow is a day of his liberation so we are on page 94 I believe pistol 5 he says in order to create the world the world has to be created with kindness because in order to create such, such a symptom creation is not an act of self-expression creation is an act of self-denial so in order for Hashem to concentrate himself and to speak two letters, Yud, K, the whole entire universe was created with the two letters. With Yud, the world to come was created, Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, and with Hey, the world was created, all the other worlds, and especially this physical world. So, even when we speak two words, two letters, let alone when they imagine a genius, Einstein was trying to communicate his vast knowledge, trying to communicate it in two letters. Imagine how difficult it is. How do you take all that wisdom, a lifetime of wisdom, and how do you concentrate it in two letters, in one word? Imagine the, the symptom, the, this total concentration, the reducing and the concentration of all that brilliance in, 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 in two letters. Take such a huge symptom. So 
Creation is not an act of self-expression. Hashem is expressing Himself. It's an act of Hashem hiding, concentrating Himself, concealing Himself. Hashem is to take His infinite light and concentrate it in two letters, Yud and Hey. This is a tremendous act of kindness. Why would Hashem want to do this? It's only because Hashem wants to act with kindness and Hashem wants to bestow and give us that He limited Himself concealed himself, concentrated himself, and created and emanated from himself these two letters that creates the whole universe. Our known universe. Tashem is just like two letters. It's nothing. It's insignificant. And Hashem concentrated himself in these two letters. And that's why it says the world was created with kindness. And it says... Eile toilus hashemayim v'yaharet bihibarim. This is the um, the chronicles of heaven and earth when they were created. So the rabbis say, Behibara means, if you turn the letters around, it's the letters Avraham. The world was created with Avraham, meaning the kindness of Avraham. Why did Hashem create the world? Why did Hashem contract Himself and concentrate Himself and conceal Himself? Only because of the kindness of Avraham. In other words, the attribute of chesed, of kindness. This is what Avram embodied, this is what Avram symbolized. Avram was the embodiment of kindness, so much so that when Avram, Avram was created, it says that the kindness, the divine attribute of kindness, complained to Hashem, said to Hashem, what do you need me? You have Avram. He was jealous of Avram. Look at the kindness of Avram, you don't need me. It's Avram embodied the divine kindness. So the world was created with this attribute. This is a key and essential attribute. It's only the attribute of kindness with which therefore Hashem, out of His love for us, He concentrates Himself and limits Himself and defines Himself and conceals Himself. But He says this is only true at the beginning of creation. Because in the beginning of creation there was no one. Before creation, all there is is Hashem. So there was no one to arouse or evoke within Hashem this kindness. Hashem aroused Himself, evoked Himself, decided Himself. But today, once Adam was created, now the way the system is set up is that Hashem is interacting. If we want God to be kind, we have to be kind. Now it, we are in the driver's seat. He put us in the driver's seat. He says, it's all up to you, it all depends on you. So if we want Hashem to be kind, then we have to be kind. And even before, when Hashem, before Hashem created Adam, it says when Hashem created the world, who did He consult? He consulted the righteous ones. In other words, because Hashem envisioned the service, our service, and he envisioned the tremendous pleasure that we would give him by overcoming difficulties, doing the right things, studying the Torah, doing the mitzvot, and leading a Jewish life, a godly, wholesome life, thinking like a Jew and speaking like a Jew and acting like a Jew. It gave Hashem so much pleasure that this is what motivated him to create the world. So even when Hashem aroused himself and evoked this feeling within himself, it's because of Adam, because he envisioned and that's why it says he consulted. Who did he consult? The souls of the Jewish people. We were the world's first consultants. <laughs> we were producing cars before the world was created. Hashem consulted us. Should he create the world? Should he create the world? Meaning, Hashem envisioned and it gave him so much pleasure that he decided to create the world. So really, we are in the driver's seat. That's why Rosh Hashanah, we celebrate the day that Adam was created. Rosh Hashanah, after all, was celebrating the creation of the world. We should have celebrated when God created heaven and earth, which is the first day of creation. Yet Rosh Hashanah is on the sixth day of creation. Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, the first day of Tishrei, the world was created on the 25th day of Elul. Because it's all about Adam. Adam is in the driver's seat. It's man and our consciousness and our choices and our decisions and our behavior and how we think and how we speak and how we act. This is what we are in the driver's seat. This is what determines, this is what Hashem responds to. And that's why Hashem created the world. So if we want Hashem to make a tzimtzum, 
Because the creation is self-denial. Hashem has to deny Himself. Remove Himself. Take Himself out of the way, so to speak. In order to allow for creation. To create that space and allow for creation. So if we want to evoke that symptom within Hashem, we have to also have a symptom. What does a symptom mean in our personal life? We have to deny ourselves. We have to deprive ourselves. We have to limit ourselves. We have to get our ego out of the way. We have to remove ourselves. So I want. I say, I want to do something. So you remove that want. You don't have to follow every urge and every instinct. Especially you don't have to celebrate every urge and every instinct. You don't have to follow every urge and every instinct. So I want, I hold myself back. The whole creation was based on Tzimtzum. Holding yourself back. Hashem held himself back. And creation is ongoing. Creation is every moment. So if we want the world to sustain, to be sustained, the world to, to be created this very moment, and Hashem is interactive, now Hashem says, you're in the driver's seat. I'm following you. We have to lead the way. We have to do a symptom within ourselves. Every time we overcome an urge, a desire to act unhealthy in an unhealthy, unwholesome, self-destructive way, that evokes a response from Hashem that Hashem will do His symptom. So it's only when we do our symptom, we're able to restrain ourselves and able to refrain, then, then Hashem will respond in kind. So he says now, that since the whole world was based on kindness, so we have to be kind. And it's through our kindness that Hashem is interactive and Hashem will respond with His kindness. So since this is an essential element of creation, which is ongoing each and every moment, therefore, it is essential that today, we, you and I, we have to act with kindness. And it's only through our behaving with kindness, it's the act of kindness that sustains the whole world. Because this evokes a kindness within Hashem to limit Himself, to remove Himself, to concentrate Himself, which enables creation to emanate within, from within Hashem the two letters of Yud and He. The concentrate is infinite light in the two letters Yud and He and therefore create the universe as we know it. That's we we were holding on the bottom page 94. But after the creation of man to work it, his lifelong task being to draw down to this world a flow of divine energy by means of an arousal from below, i.e. by means of his own spiritual labors, every arousal from above to arouse the attribute of supreme kindness depends on an arousal from below to the acts of charity and kindness that Jews perform in this world. Thus, these good deeds draw down divine influence from the yud of the divine name from the level of Chachma to the final He of the name, the level of Malchut. In this way, then, good deeds bring together and make the name of Hashem and draw it downward in its entirety. Kindness takes many forms. Even though he said tzedakah, but here he adds, it's not necessarily tzedakah meaning giving money. It could be acts of kindness, visiting the sick, helping the poor, you know, acts of kindness. You know, they once asked the, 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 the Boy Scouts, so what good deed did you do? He says, we ha-. so the whole group answered, we helped the old lady cross the street, 12, 12 boys. He says, why do you need 12 boys to help across the street? He says, she didn't want to cross. <laughs> she didn't want to cross. <laughs> but it's not, it's not necessarily tzedakah, meaning giving money. It's sometimes giving a smile to a person, encouraging them, feeding them, opening your home giving them a bed, visiting them, giving them good advice, sharing your time, sharing your wisdom, sharing your expertise, and many, many acts of kindness. Any act of kindness that we do, it could be a small act of kindness. Any, even the smallest act of kindness means so much and evokes within Hashem the response. But His emphasis is the acts of kindness that we do in this world physical acts of kindness. We're not talking about spiritual, what we do in the spiritual realm. We're talking about physical, literally an act of kindness. You helped a person, a person was in need, and you gave them, you 
encouraged them, you smiled to them, you gave them what they needed at that moment, you helped them. You know, like the Baal Shem Tev said, Baal Shem Tev taught that everything that a Jew sees and hears is a divine lesson. It's a personal message from Hashem. So students asked him, what's the personal message, what's the divine message, lesson that we learn from atheism? Everything in this world is here to teach us a lesson, to draw us closer to Hashem. What lesson could we learn? What positive lesson could we learn from atheism? Hashem said, very simple. Poor man knocks on your door. So at that moment, become an atheist. You're the only one who can help him. Bring him into your house. Give him a piece of bread. Feed him. Don't sit him down and start opening up a tanya and let me teach you what it means to have trust in Hashem. And let's meditate together. And let's pray together. That person needs a piece of bread. Don't, don't tell him to rely on Hashem. He's begging you. He's knocking on your door. You have to help him. Now there's no one else in the world that can help him. He's knocking on your door. What are you going to do to help him physically? At that moment, become an atheist. In that sense, that I physically have to help him. I can't push him off and tell him to believe in Hashem. First thing you have to do is physically help him. Then once you fed him, and he's well fed, and you took care of him, or you've done everything that you could physically, and then there's not, nothing more you can do, and then sit down and learn with him, and encourage him, and teach him about what the meaning of trust in Hashem. But there's a lesson, a lesson that you can learn from, from everything. So we're talking about physical kindness. It's the physical kindness that you do to help another person. And it doesn't matter if it's, it's a kindness to the other person. The other person, it's a big deal. Maybe to you, it's not a big deal. To you, it's, to you maybe it's not even to you, even really it's not a big deal. Objectively speaking, it's like a foolishness. But to the other person, it's a big deal. They need help. From your vantage point, you think, ah, this is nothing, it's not a kind. That person needs help, and you help them. Where they're at, and you help them. That's an act of kindness in this world. You focus on the other person. The other person is not you. To them, it's a big deal. Maybe to you, it's not a big deal. It's not about you, it's about them. Like it says, a person who's poor, and then you see him, he's going into the deli, and he's buying himself a nice sandwich. You think to yourself, come on, He's living of charity. He should be eating hard bread. And why is he enjoying a nice sandwich? Is this what I'm giving him the money for? But you have to know the person. Maybe this person can't live all his life. That was his life. He can't live without it. Without it, you, you, might, you might as well have. Uh, you, you, he can't live without it. For him, it's a necessity, it's not a luxury. You have to know the person. The Talmud says if a person is used to having 200 people run before him, when he was wealthy, in the olden days, even today the biggest billionaires don't have it. But in the olden days, someone who was very wealthy, when he would go to town, there would be 200 people running in front of him. Here comes Mr. So-and-so. A whole tumult. What do you mean? He's coming to town. Even the, the, the top of the Ford 400 doesn't have 200 people running in front of Park Avenue today. Here comes Mr. So-and-so. So Talmud says, let's say this person becomes poor. You have to give him tzedakah, to give him those 200 people to run, because he's used to it. Without that, he has no life. To you, you would think this is a, cra- this is a madness, this is a luxury. You can't afford it. Cut down and that's it. Walk around in rags. Eat hard-boiled eggs, that's it. That's all you're getting. Hard bread, stale bread, what else do you want? You're poor. That's a wrong way to look at it. It's very subjective. For him, it's a necessity. Honestly, it's a necessity. It's not he's making it up. A person grew up in a certain way, without it, his whole life is crushed. Another person who grew up poor, he doesn't need anything else. For him, a basic necessity is give him a slice of bread, and he's happy. So you have to know, it's not about you. It's really kindness is about the other person. You have to know what that other person really needs. And if I can help him, in his situation, his moment of need, that's an act of kindness in the physical world. 
he emphasized we're talking about a physical kindness in the physical world we're not talking about some spiritual otherworldly kindness let's meditate together and let's dance together just help him out give him what he needs write the check don't be stingy just write the check take put your hand in your pocket and give him the cash give him the money help him what he really needs so and that act of kindness the whole world depends on that act of kindness because all of creation is based on kindness. Bihi baram. The whole world is created with the attribute of Avra. So, and Hashem will only act kindly if we act kindly. So if we want the world to sustain the world, we have to act kindly. That is why our agents of blessed memory have said, whoever says that there is nothing but Torah, and thus no kind of deed, does not have even Torah. Rather, we want to engage in Torah and in the performance of acts of loving kindness. So whoever says, I only have Torah, I don't need kindness, then he doesn't even have Torah. You have to study Torah, and you have to also engage in acts of loving kindness. And he's going to explain why. Because why would I think I only need Torah? Because as he's going to explain... Torah sustains the world. It says Hashem created the world through Torah. And when we study Torah, and we engage our minds in the study of Torah, and we exert ourselves, and we're fully engaged, our minds are fully engaged in understanding and comprehending and learning and studying the Torah, we sustain the world. So it's the act of Torah that sustains the world. So you would think, all I need is Torah. Why do I need anything else? So that's why the rabbis come along and say, no, it's not so. If you want to sustain the world, it's not enough to study Torah. But together with the Torah, you need kindness. Of course you need Torah. Torah is what sustains the world. But in order for Torah to sustain the world, you need Torah together with kindness. And that's what he's going to explain why you need Torah. You can't just do kindness alone. You need Torah. But Torah is not alone. It's not enough. In the Torah, together with kindness. Kindness is critical. Why is kindness critical? Why isn't Torah alone sufficient? That's what he's going to explain now. Continue. Although the Torah derives from the Torah, and the world subsists by virtue of the Torah, and those who discourse it. And it says in desire. And that's why it says every moment there's somebody in the world studying Torah. If for one moment there wasn't Someone studying Torah, the world would cease to exist. The whole world exists because of Torah. Literally, because of the, the way the, the, the so Jews are dispersed all over the world. So the way the hours work, there's always a Jew up somewhere in the world who's studying Torah. At that moment, engaged in studying Torah, turning Torah with enthusiasm. Even if there's one Jew, but there's one person somewhere in the world at all hours, 24-7, who's studying Torah. Because if... if if that would stop, the whole world would cease to exist. The whole world is sustained by the power of Torah. Maybe now it's your studying of Torah that's holding up the whole entire world. Why is that? Because by speaking of Torah subjects, they elicit illumination and effusion from Supreme Chochmah, the source of Torah, into the plane of the letters of speech with which the world was created. Because Torah comes from wisdom, and we already learned at the beginning of this letter that letters and words are rooted in the wisdom, and the essence of wisdom is really the subconscious. So it's by studying Torah that we are able to evoke and draw down those letters and words. So the whole world is sustained by the letters and the words. What draws down? What's the source of the letter of the words? The wisdom, the Chacham, the Torah. The Torah. We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about the wisdom of the Torah. Because although the world was also created with wisdom, there's a lot of wisdom, science, math, physics. There's wisdom in everything. But this world is essentially created with the seven emotional attributes. The wisdom is the wisdom that sustains the emotional attributes. So pure wisdom, especially the essence of wisdom, subconscious, undefined, this is only found in the Torah. So when you study Torah and you understand the Torah, 
and you're able to articulate the Torah, it's those words and letters in the Torah that emanate from the wisdom. And that draws down the words and letters with which Hashem creates the world. So by us studying Torah, we actually sustain the world. It also says by prayer, when you pray, that's why it says in the beginning of Ethics of Our Fathers that the world stands on three pillars. Torah, prayer, and, and gemilas chasadim, and kindness. Tzedakah, acts of kindness. Because when you pray, when you say Hashem heals the sick, by saying those words, and that's why ideally is to pray in Hebrew, when you actually say those words, you are saying the Hebrew letters that channel that energy. You're channeling the divine energy that sustain, that heal the sick. And when you say, bless the year and give me parnasa, when you say those words, baruch aleinu, you're actually channeling that breath and that, those letters and you're standing before Hashem and you're speaking. You have the power to channel those letters because we are in the driver's seat. Hashem is interactive. When we pray, we are actually, it's a self-fulfilling wish. We're actually causing the divine flow to flow through these words and we draw down all these blessings and all these things that we request. So this is how powerful this is the idea that we're intera- that Hashem is interactive. Whatever we do. So when the Jew sits and studies Torah, he says, ah, and he uses the word, the Zohar uses the word, the lonba. Lonba means you work hard. We're not talking about studying Torah superficially, lying in bed with a book and reading. We're talking about really working hard on the studying of Torah, engaging your mind, thinking about it, really throwing yourself into it, totally concentrating not learning it with one hand tied behind your back and half, half asleep, but really getting into it and really trying to learn it and understand it well and internalize it and integrate it. When you, when you really throw yourself into the study of Torah, and then you're touching the source of wisdom, you're revealing the source of the divine wisdom, which is the source of words and letters, which draw down the words and letters with which Hashem creates the world. So our breath, we speak the words of Torah we draw down the divine breath and divine words and letters. And that's why the rabbis say, as our sages of blessed memory said, With regard to Torah scholars, do not read Banai, Yashin, but Bonai, your builders. They build the world through the study of the Torah. So we say it every morning in Davening. This is the Talmud at the end of the tracted uh, Brachis. V'chol Banayich lemudei Hashem, all your children the Moody Hashem, and the students of Hashem, study Hashem, the Rav Shalom Benoich, and much peace to your sons, to your children. So again, it's a, it's a repetition. He already said that the whole Benoich, the Moody Hashem, all your sons are the students of Hashem. And he should have said, the Rav Shalom, and much peace to them. Why does he have to repeat Benoich? Much peace to your sons. We're already talking about your sons. So the rabbis say, since this word is extra, the end of the tractate brachas, page 64, the rabbis say that don't read it, banoyach, your sons, but read it instead, boynoyach. In addition to the simple meaning, that it means your sons, your children, it means boynoyach, the builders. Much peace to the builders, because those who study Limude Hashem, those who study the word of Hashem, who study His Torah, your children who study the Torah, they are also the builders. They build the world. They sustain the world. Because it's through their studying of Torah that they draw down the divine speech and words that sustains the world. So they, but they're the builders of the world. They're the contractors. They're the builders. They keep the world going. They sustain the world. So it's the rabbis who study Torah, the Jews who study Torah, who engage in the studying of Torah. They are the true builders of the world. They are the true general contractors. They are the ones who are responsible for cre- the sustenance of creation, to sustain creation. That's where, the, that's where the energy is. That's where the action really is. What makes the world run around? It's not Wall Street. It's not Washington. It's, not, it's the Beis HaMedrash. The Jews sitting and studying Torah, they are sustaining the whole universe. Literally. They are upholding the whole universe. Because the power of Torah. 
So if that's the case, that's what we can understand why the rabbis say, you would think, all I need is Torah. All I need is Torah. Yes, to sustain the world, just by the fact that I'm studying Torah, I'm already accomplishing, I'm accomplishing this, I'm sustaining the whole world. The rabbis say it's not enough. In order to accomplish what you want to accomplish with studying Torah, in order to sustain the world, to build the world, you need an extra ingredient. You need an extra added element. What's that added element and extra ingredient that you need? What you need is kindness. Why? Because what you're doing through studying Torah, you're taking this very lofty level of godliness, the level of the supernal wisdom, and the highest level within wisdom, the essence of wisdom. And you want to draw it down into this world into the physical you want to draw it down into the hay and the external part of the hay to, to sustain this most physical most tangible of worlds so to draw down its lofty infinite energy and to draw it down into the letters into the so to speak the physical speech that will create this physical tangible world that's a tremendous descent that's a tremendous plunge how do you get from Chachma, the highest of the high, to the lowest of the low, the physical, the touch, the most tangible? It's so, it's so low that although the Torah speaks in the language of man, and the Torah does speak of the hand of God, but the Torah never uses the sense of touch in relation to God. All the other senses the Torah uses as, an, as by way of an analogy. God sees the eyes of God. God hears. God sees. God speaks. God smells. It's a ple- pleasant scent. But nowhere in the Torah do you find it says God touches. Because even by way of an analogy, you can't use that as an analogy. Touches the most tangible, the most physical. God, you can't say, can't say God touches. Even something spiritual, it's beyond touch. How much more so Hashem, God? So even by way of analogy, by way of speaking in the language of man, you can't even say that God touches. Uh, God touches, God is not physical, I mean God touches. So how do you get from the lofty, the peak, how do you get to something physical and tangible, the sense of touch that God should create from the external part of the hay, which represents the breath, which is the source of the physical speech? How do you... And from there, from that, letter A has created the physical, tangible, material world, a world that conceals and hides. How do you get from the supernal level of wisdom, the essence of wisdom, to that level? It's a, it's a plunge. It's a tremendous symptom. So the only way to do that is God is interactive. When we, when we lower ourselves, and we take our lofty feelings and lofty intentions and we bring it down practically, tangibly, to tangibly help, and help a person and to tangibly do an act of kindness. That tangible act of kindness, whatever form it may take, not only money, but any form it may take. A person who has money has to give a lot of money. I'm not saying a person who has money should not you know, spend all his time visiting the sick. <laughs> he has to spend all his time writing checks all day. But it can take many forms. Any act of tangible kindness that you do, this is Hashem will interact. And Hashem will, in kind, also take this divine lofty level that you've evoked through your studying Torah. But now you have to take that lofty level and s- s- send it all the way down, so to speak, into the physical, tangible, that it should become tangible, it should materialize in the most tangible way, for that you need tangible kindness. Studying of Torah is mental, it's in your head, it's lofty, it's spiritual, it's in your brain. But if you want the divine, infinite light to express itself in the most physical, tangible way, you also have to do a tangible deed, a physical deed. So the two go hand in hand. Of course it's the Torah that sustains the world. Because it's the Torah that evokes the sorts of words and letters and the loftiest level. 
this very source of words and letters. And the wisdom, divine, supernal wisdom, and the highest level of wisdom. But then to take that light that you've drawn down and to tangibilize it and to bring it down into the most physical, tangible, external level, into the external level, uh, level of the hay, so Hashem could create, continue to create, to sustain this physical, material, tangible world, which is our world. For that, we have to do a physical, tangible act of kindness. So whoever says, I only have Torah, I, all I need is Torah in order to sustain the world. You don't even have Torah. Because that light that you have, you don't have it. It remains in heaven, it remains lofty, it remains up there. But you don't have it, you haven't brought it down. You haven't drawn it down, all the way down, to the bottom, to the lowest level. For that, you need kindness. Because kindness is like water. Water finds the lowest level. That's the nature of water, finds the lowest level. So if you want to draw the Torah, the light of the Torah, all the way down to the lowest level, you also need the most simple, most tangible act of kindness, which is a physical kindness. So you need the combination. You need Torah together with kindness. Then you can accomplish that single goal of drawing the Torah, sustaining the world, drawing Hashem's light, drawing that light into the letters and words that create and sustain and animate this, even the most physical, tangible world that we live. When I, oh, I was always wondering why it's like when I build around the children. Right, because it's a next door word, because it's next door word. Shalah, Shalah, Kaddish. It doesn't take away from whenever the rabbis say "al tikre," don't call it, don't read it. Banayach children, we read it. It doesn't take away from the simple meaning. The simple meaning. It's in addition to the simple meaning that children study Torah. Not only children, also the builders. They're the builders, builders of the world because they really sustain the world. The whole world is in their hands. If we knew how much responsibility we had, how the whole world is in our hands. Tremendous, awesome privilege. How much is riding on us? How much is dependent on us? You want the world to be a stable world? Sometimes you wonder what's going on out there. Well, maybe it's our fault. We can stabilize it. All of us study a little Torah, study more Torah. And we are the builders. We are the ones who really are in the driver's seat. We have no one to blame. It's really all in our hands. That's what he's saying. It's not enough to study Torah. In addition to studying Torah, you also have to do acts of kindness. Mitzvahs also. But here specifically he's focusing on acts of kindness. Because the whole world is created through kindness. So the people that are sitting in the yeshiva It's not enough. That's why uh, the Rebbe instituted that and Rebbe Moshe Feinstein agreed that it's important that every Jew should take it upon himself that when the yeshiva students, even the yeshiva students, when they have a little time off, free time, they, they're busy studying from morning to night. When do they have free time? There's one time in the week they have free time. Friday afternoon, before Shabbos. Even the code of Jewish law, you close the yeshivas, you, you, you have to get ready for Shabbos. So you have a little free time. So most yeshiva boys, okay, have free time, they take a little nap. They take care of their own needs, whatever. There's only a few hours they have in the whole week to take care of what they need. Here they're busy studying literally in the crack of dawn till, till, till they burn the, the, the candle late at night. So what did the Rebbe Institute, what does the yeshiva boy do on this free time? He's going around putting on tefillin with Jews, bringing them something about the parasha, wishing them a good Shabbos, giving the Shabbos candles to the women. Yeah. And the yeshiva schedule is full all year round. There's three weeks a year where they have a time off. In the summer, the end of the month of Av, before the month of El, you have three weeks. You have time off to relax. The only time of the year you have a little time for yourself. So what did the Chabad students do? Starting reading times of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. They would take this free time and they would travel all over America bring Yiddishkeit to these far-flung communities they had no rabbi and so this is the idea it's not enough to study Torah not enough yes your majority of your time has to be studying Torah that's your occupation 
But what do you do in your free time? You also have to have an element of kindness. Literally, caring about another person, noticing another person, being there for another person, helping them, whatever way possible, physically, tangibly, advice, sharing with them, whatever it is. But just interacting with another human being. You can't just live isolated for yourself. It could be a very selfish lifestyle also. You just care about yourself. And you're learning, you're busy learning, and you're close to the rest of the world. The world is in pain, the world is suffering, the world is dying from ignorance. And you're living in such a good place that you don't care. You're like Noah in the ark. I'm saved. The whole world is drowning. <laughs> it's not my business. I'm busy in yeshiva. I'm studying Torah. What else? What doesn't? Not my concern. It's God's world. Let him worry about his world. That's a Torah without kindness. Torah without kindness cannot accomplish what Torah has to accomplish. It cannot sustain the world. When could you sustain the world? Only when you make contact with the world. With kindness, you're making contact with the world. You're, you're, you're there, you're helping them. You're doing something tangible. And you're drawing down the kindness, drawing it down into the most basic, physical, concrete reality and level. And that draws down also this divine, infinite light that you draw down through studying Torah. Now this light is drawn down into the most physical to create and to sustain the physical. And therefore that also draws down all the blessings. That all the blessings should also come down in the most tangible way. Because that's the problem with blessings. Many times we get blessings. On Rosh Hashanah, maybe we daven very well, we prayed very well, and we decree in heaven was, you're good. But something gets lost in the translation. It's already three months later, we don't see any change. No movement. Nothing changed. But I was sure that on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we were signed and sealed in the Book of Life. We got all the blessings. The verdict was, free. You, you won the case. There's nothing in the bank account. What happened? Because many times the blessing gets stuck. It gets stuck in heaven. We want the blessings to materialize, to tangibleize, to be tangible. For that, you need something else. You need, on that day, you have to, when you do an act of kindness, and you're able to draw from yourself and in a tangible way all those good intentions and all those good feelings, you're able to tangibly help another person. To bring it to the lowest level, the most simple, the most basic, the most concrete level, that helps draw down the blessing also, that it comes down in a very tangible way. Then Hashem's blessings come down in a tangible way. That's why tzedakah, you see the results of tzedakah, materially, tangibly. You will be blessed, you will be rich, you will, you will see the blessings. Not just spirit in the spiritual world. You will actually see the blessings. Because that's the power of chesed, of kindness, of the water, like water that flows down and finds the lowest spot. Kindness is, finds the lowest spot. It's helping a person in a moment of need. Helping them literally, simply, Practically, it could be a small thing. It doesn't have to be anything earth-shattering. Something real, concrete, and that draws down the infinite light, also in a very real and concrete and, and very, very tangible way. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at lessonsintanya.com.